You're listening to Joy Coaching America with the Joy Coach, Karen Lynn Grant, spreading upbeat, uplifting, informative messages of hope and happiness from sea to shining sea from our home in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. This is Carolyn Grant with Joy Coaching America. This is part two of last week's interview where we interviewed Sean Oldroyd and Cheryl Kale from Corner Canyon Recovery in Draper, Utah. Now this, this particular facility is nationwide. It has national influence and you're going to be able to call Sean. You're going to be able to get some phone numbers, some websites today so that you can go ahead and give Sean a call and ask him, you know, where can we go? What can we do? Who do we turn to? And as a mother, I have a very vested interest in what we're talking about today. And so I may get a little teary, but that's okay because we're talking about crucial help in crucial times with those who have experienced an increase of depression, an increase of alcohol use or any other kind of drug abuse uh, and usage during a time of the world's history, the country's history, where hope has felt a little bit hanging on the precipice. We're so excited to have Anne Bolter, who is a nurse practitioner here with us today. And Anne is a medical nurse practitioner for Corner Canyon Recovery, where she works with Sean Oldroyd and Cheryl Kale. She is the founder and the owner of Private Detox of Utah, this is a very important subject, Anne, and I am so grateful. You can't even know how grateful because this is this is a national concern. We've all heard of the statistics of people um, just turning to alcohol more or turning to different kinds of drugs because, and it's what I have found uh, is it's often the most tender-hearted. It is the the person who is. That has the greatest, tenderest heart, who loves life, who's so oh, aware of feelings and emotions, but does not know how to express them, doesn't know what to do with those feelings and emotions. And so often they turn to an escape, something that they hope will help to numb the pain and then end up addicted. And so today, Anne, I'm so grateful to have you here and want you to feel completely comfortable because I know you're going to be sharing your, a little bit of your story and how you got interested in doing the work that you're doing to help and bless so many lives. So if you would just like to uh, jump in here and just start with a little bit about yourself and your story. Okay. Well, first off, I just want to say thank you for having me on. And I really appreciate you putting a spotlight on this topic. It's still very important. It seems like a lot of times with everything else going on in the world, it's been pushed back to the side just a little bit, but it is more intense than ever. Um, as far as my experience, I'm an acute care nurse practitioner, um, graduated from UCLA back in 2005, and been working as an MP since then. Most of my work was in the hospital in acute settings, transplant team, internal medicine, and that was going great until one day I actually had a back injury. And during that back injury, I was put on pain medications by my doctor. And for a little bit, it was fine. I was able to do things, get through my day, no problem. But over time, the pain got worse. So my doctor increased the medications. And that cycle went on for years. And it got to a point where 
it was completely out of control. And I found myself in a position where I was doing things I thought I would never do. And I couldn't help myself. If I didn't have those pain medications, I was not functional. Um, technically, I would be what you call a functioning addict. Um, I think there's a lot of functioning addicts now, colleagues, especially professionals who still get up every day, go to school, go to work, take care of their children. There's all of these people that kind of fly under the radar. I was one of those people. Uh, most people didn't know that I had a problem. In fact, not even my family knew <laughs> for a long time. And then in the last part of those years, it became more apparent. And I was struggling because here I am, a medical professional who had the total belief that there's no way I could be addicted. There's no way I can take care of this. I can manage it myself. Turns out I couldn't. And I tried. Mm -hmm. And then it was got to a point where I finally had to ask for help. And that was really hard. It was really hard to just be like, I can't, I can't do this. And to admit that, yes, I, I am an addict and I do need help. I think a lot of times the medical profession would kind of taught not to treat addicts and alcoholics with anything but contempt. And I was guilty mm -hmm. of it too. And when it happened to me, I finally got the picture. I finally understood why people aren't doing what they're quote unquote supposed to be doing. Um, Cause you have to feed that addiction. That's number one. And it takes over your brain in such a powerful wow. way. And it's not, you just can't get out of it yourself. Um, so it was really humbling, but I decided I needed to be detoxed. I went through that process. I had a really rough detox. And then also I went into rehab and I spent months in rehab and I came out of it an entirely different person. It was shocking. I didn't have a lot of a uh, faith in therapy and that type of thing mm -hmm. and groups. And I was shocked at the things I learned because here I'm thinking, I know so much. I mean, we all mm -hmm. think we know everything. Um, and I found out I knew nothing. But it was kind of a beautiful thing because now I have this ability to learn. There's so much out there. And part of my experience is I did have other medical providers treat me terribly. Mm -hmm. And even when I was up front with them and said, look, I've had this addiction. This is what's going on. And they would still treat me um, really poorly. And so my thought was, I want to make sure that if someone's suffering the way that I've suffered, that they're coming to people who are actually going to care for them and treat them with respect because I felt like I didn't get that in a lot of those situations. And now that I understood the disease, then I'm like, okay, now, now I see where they're coming from and why they, why they struggle. And so for me, I kind of feel like my addiction was there because I needed this experience. So since that time, I've become really passionate about recovery and addiction and helping people get from one end to the other end. And it's, it's always, it's a battle, but when people make that transition, it doesn't just affect them. It ripples down, it ripples down to their, their, their outside family, it ripples down to their kids. It can last generations because this is a disease. It's a family disease. And when you can make that kind of change, you really see people, the light comes back in their eyes and it makes mm -hmm. a huge difference. And it's just something I've been really passionate about for since, since that time. I'm so grateful. So grateful for your willingness to share your story. And it's as a mother that has been on the other end. And uh, I never in high school, I, I remember I tasted alcohol once a friend's father said, here, you know, you're 15, you need to taste this. And I spit it out. I, I hated the flavor. I was like, that burns your throat. Like, I don't want this. But what do you do when you you like that flavor and and you want that and it, and you have enough of it in your system that now you've experienced 
how funny and how fun you might be because now your personality is opened up and, and you're feeling like, Hey, when I do this, I'm a more fun person and it starts out fun. And I've watched that happen and I've watched it happen in my own family. And I've laughed along with the one that was having the most fun because that made them funnier. And, mm -hmm. and then it wasn't so fun anymore. And then as a mother, I became so worried and so confused and baffled and not wanting to overstep the bounds of, you know, not wanting to be enabling, but not wanting to put so much pressure on that you put that person over the edge as well, because you could see the fragility and the, the tenderness of the heart. And so that balance of how do I, how do I monitor this and how do I let this go on in my home? But I'd rather if it's going to go on, that it go on here and not somewhere else where that person might not be safe. And so to have you come and share this story and, and something that you said really touched my heart that you feel that part of your education, you didn't say it exactly like that, but, but in going through what you went through, you were educated to know how an addict feels and that they can want with all their heart to stop, but it gets to the point where it is beyond them because now the body takes over and is, has those cravings and those impulses that are just hard to deny and probably impossible to deny without help. And so you have gone through this experience and you have watched and witnessed probably your own mother and, and your family members uh, feel for you. And I also appreciate what you said about that you had gone for help and that they didn't treat you right. They didn't treat you probably like a person with real feelings and real emotions and and recognize the divinity in you and the beauty of your spirit only seeing you as an addict and so that is what I really want to portray today and you're going to be doing the next segment with me as well on how you took your experience and then turn that for good and now I just I'm getting goosebumps because you've taken your experience you're turning it into good and you are helping and blessing so many mothers. There's hope for mothers across America, ladies out there who are listening and fathers out there who are listening, who have felt the pain, the agony, the fear, the gone the roller coaster with your child or with your loved one, and you have not known what to do. You have not known where to turn. How grateful I am for a woman like you who has come into my family's life to bless and benefit us, to teach us how to honor, show respect to that person who's struggling, to see the divinity in that individual, to acknowledge that. So any closing comments for this little segment before we break for our next, our next uh, station break? One thing, just because from a, from a medical focus, so that people understand a little bit about why people make bad decisions, because part of the brain that you use for decision-making executive choices, that shuts down, it's called hypothetality. And I am so excited to hear more about that when we come right back.
from sea to shining sea and beyond. You're listening to Joy Coaching America Worldwide with show host and Joy Coach, Karen Lynn Grant. Thank you for joining us today with Joy Coaching America, bringing hope to families across America and beyond. Because those of you who are listening may be outside of America, and today we are interviewing Anne, who is here from Corner Canyon Recovery on what it means to go through, experience what an addict feels, experiences, and then turn that for good, and then move on to blessing as many lives as she can with the knowledge, the experience, the wisdom that she has. She's an acute nurse practitioner. Acute care. Acute care. She's very cute too. So (laughs) that's good. Okay. And we are just about to now discuss that big word that you said, frontal, frontal? Hypofrontality. Hypofrontality. Okay. See, so much to learn. And take it away. All right. So with addiction and any type of addiction, people develop what's called hypofrontality, basically saying that they don't use that frontal lobe of the brain. And this is the the area of the brain where we make all of our decision-making. It's the part where you're dealing with emotion and relationships. And when we're using a substance that we've become dependent on, chemically, we follow the same kind of pattern over and over and over again. And that pattern is to get the substance and as soon as you get it, you make plans to get it again. And that's your body's way of surviving. It kind of makes you skip your typical um, hierarchy of needs. You know, most people, first thing you need is shelter, food, and then you get to the part about love and all of that. And what happens is the drug actually gets to the top of that list. So pretty soon the drug is more important than your shelter. It's more important than food. It's more important than relationships. Your body feels like that's what it needs to survive. So when we're using any kind of substance, what happens is we flood our system with neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin, all these feel good um, neurotransmitters. And the body wants everything to have homeostasis. It wants everything balanced. And so it doesn't like it. So what it does, it starts taking away all of your, your receptor sites and those neurotransmitters and starts taking them away. And so that naturally you don't have much because it knows you're going to put the substance in the body. So it doesn't create its own dopamine, right? It stops producing that because it knows it's going to come through that artificial substance. Exactly. So it does that. So when a person stops using a substance or even just goes down on what they're using, they have all of these negative feelings and it's both physical and mental. Is that because the body's now not producing it? Yeah. Yeah. You have. So now you have no dopamine, you have no serotonin and you're just Mm -hmm. struggling to do willpower. Yeah. And willpower on its own doesn't work. I wish it did, but it's a what happens is without any of those things, that's why you feel the shakes. That's why you vomit. That's why you can have seizures. That's why you have anxiety, insomnia, all of these horrible things. It's kind of like having a horrible flu, but add extra anxiety and the risk of death with alcohol or benzos. So the body takes time to get all those things back. And that's mm. one of the reasons that going into a recovery plan, a recovery center is so important because you need to have everything. You need to have your sleep. You need to have nutrition. You need to have the proper mental care to start putting all this stuff together. Because it, like I say, it could take months before you get those neurotransmitters back. Right. And so you need help during that time. That's why it's really hard for people to not have cravings, to not be like, I was happier when I was using. Because at the moment, yeah, they feel horrible. There's no dopamine, no serotonin to get them through. Mm -hmm. 
And how perfect to be in a recovery situation where someone like you understands exactly what they're going through and then can be there to kind of guide them, give them hope and help them hang on for dear life while they're, while they're starting those chemical creations again. Right. And part of it's telling people that they also need to be patient with their own mind and body because it takes time. And I'll say, honestly, I feel like it took me a good year before I really felt like I was on it from a brain standpoint, mm -hmm. mental health, everything was good to go. It, it takes some time and that's time doing work, not just sitting by doing time. This is time doing all the things, giving your body what it actually needs. I like how you said, not just not really biding your time. You're not waiting for this to happen. You're doing your work. So what mm -hmm. kind of work do you, you own the an, uh, recovery uh, detox mm -hmm. program. So can you talk to us about what you do? And Yeah, absolutely. So I own Private Detox of Utah. And what we do is come in and do a medical detox from any substance in a person's home or safe area. One of the things I experienced as a professional is that I do not want to leave my home, my job, my, my family mm -hmm. to do the detox. Plus, there's still that stigma, mm -hmm. this horrible stigma. And I, that's one thing I wish we could fight harder, but I wanted to make that detox process easier because the thought of an addict or alcoholic getting off of their substance, it's terrifying. And when you tell them they have to go to a hospital or they have to go somewhere foreign to detox and feel horrible. With people they don't know. Huh? Right. And even the risk, some people worry that people are going to see or know or find out. And so I just wanted to make that first step in getting into recovery easier. So, and I do find that if they're on the right medications with the right support, then they do well. So our doctor visits them every single day and mm. makes adjustments to the medications. And then we help them find a, a recovery program that works for their lifestyle. That's beautiful. And so how often do you work there versus Corner Canyon? I kind of work all of them all the time. Uh -huh. <laughs> so it's kind of on call 24-7 for all of this. And you're an owner of that. You're very young. Oh, Thank you. you. I don't very, know about that. <laughs> you look very young. I'm really impressed that you have this business that is, you have turned your experiences into such a beneficial way of helping other people. And you've got the experience, you've got the understanding, and that's beautiful that you're using all of that wisdom to help other people. Well, and part of it is a little bit selfish because I get so much back from doing this. I mean, it's just, I don't feel like I work a day of my life. It's just, I love it. I love the people. And it also keeps me in the right mind frame. Mm -hmm. It keeps me sober. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really grateful that I'm able to be in that spot where I can do that and help others find that, that, that thing for them that gets them going. You know, that makes sense too, because whenever we have gone through a crisis in our life, if we can take that crisis and use it as a catalyst to bless someone else who's going through the same kind of crisis that we have already experienced. It's like finding a way to nurture somebody in a way that they might not have found on their own. Mm -hmm. And it's turning around and extending your hand back to someone who's coming up that steep hill and climbing back over the edge of that precipice. So what does it look, what does a detox program look like? Is it like a week? Is it a month? I mean, how do you, how, when do you turn them over to a recovery center? So most of the time detox takes on average between five and seven days. Sometimes people go all the way to 10 days. It's variable. So you have the person's body, their medical conditions, and then the substance, and then how much of the substance. And so it's, it's kind of all over, but typically mm -hmm. it's about five to seven days on average. 
and you start talking to them about getting into recovery program during that process. Do they actually come to your facility to do that detox or do you help them do that at home? So the point is at home. So I don't have my own facility mm-hmm. per se. So I just go to their place. You go visit mm-hmm. them? Yeah. And That's a good thing to know. Can you give a phone number right now? Oh, yeah. Yep. So the phone number would be 801-803-8005. Okay. Say that one more time in case someone's driving down the street, grabbing a piece of paper. <laughs> it's 801-803-8005. Okay. Thank you. And do you have a website for that? Yes. It's privatedetoxofutah.com. Privatedetoxofutah.com. Do you have a staff there? How does that work? Do people go into into the homes of families? Yes. So we have um, either myself or I have a medical director. His name is Bill Dolmeyer. We go into the home. We see them. We're all on call for them 24-7. Wow. We also have a nurse who comes. We do IV amino acids. We do IV NAD therapy, which a lot of people haven't heard about. But NAD is um, a coenzyme that our mitochondria use to do everything the cell is supposed to do. And what it does is helps healing on a cellular level. So that really helps get detox um, through your system a lot quicker. Wow. It stabilizes mood, sleep. It's, it's incredible stuff. That sounds incredible. Is that something that you also do that same thing over at Corner Canyon? We've offered it to patients at Corner Canyon, yeah. That they can do it while they're there. So, so it's not something you just have to do in detox. You can do it anytime. It's also a big um, anti-aging uh, I like some of that. <laughs> right? Just hook me up to an IV and let's just bring Any it on day. in. Okay. Oh, that is wonderful. I love what you're doing, Anne. Thank you. I love what you're doing and I love what you're doing for my family member who I love with all my heart. And I think that this is so important for all of us to know if you're listening to this program, this is actually part two. And part one has turned into a podcast and will be on the Corner Canyon Recovery uh, website page. Do you know that website that you can give us so that if somebody missed part one, they can go there as soon as we get it up and, and they can go there and listen to part one, part two, and part three will be next week at Saturday at noon. Yes, that is cornercanyonrecovery.com. And we'll be right back after this announcement. And we will be hearing from Sarah. So thank you for joining us today. We'll be right back with Corner Canyon Recovery. This is Karen Lynn Grant with Joy Coaching America. Welcome. To the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Welcome back to Joy Coaching America, raising the world's vibration to love, joy, and peace. One happy listener at a time. Welcome back to Joy Coaching America with Carolyn Grant. Today we are discussing a super amazing subject and I'm so excited to have my guests here today. We just finished with our dear Anne who was talking to us all about the detoxing program that she owns privately and those website and phone numbers were given out to you in the last segment. Right now, we're going to be introducing Sarah Sorensen, who is the clinical director and the trauma specialist. 
isn't that an important part of addiction recovery is the trauma. What turned us to the addiction in the first place? So Sarah, Sarah's from Corner Canyon Recovery. She works with Sean Oldroyd, who we interviewed in part one, Cheryl Kale, who we interviewed in part one, and Anne, who we just interviewed in our last two segments. Sarah, can you share with us what what led you to bring your gifts, talents, and strengths into uh, becoming the clinical director as well as a trauma specialist? That is very important Mm -hmm. to my heart. So. So um, unlike a lot of my coworkers, I don't have a history, a personal history with substance addiction. My personal disease that I struggle with is codependency, which is something I found was born out of my own trauma. So I have a history of sexual trauma in my childhood, and it was something that was suppressed for most of my life until I found myself drawn into repeated abusive and toxic relationships as an Mm -hmm. adult. And at some point decided that was not the way I wanted to live anymore. And me getting into these relationships where I wanted to fix the other person and heal the other person almost in an obsessive and compulsive way uh, was looking like it was going to be my downfall in many, many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started doing my own work. And this was over a decade ago. I started getting into my own therapy and understanding what was driving me into these toxic patterns of behavior and what was driving me to be the enabler in these relationships. Um, and in doing that work, it, it opened my eyes (laughs) to a lot of pain and suffering that I saw around me in my own life and in the people I loved most. Um, there is a lot of intergenerational trauma that I can see in my own family, Mm -hmm. but I see it everywhere. It's, it's a universal. I bet it's really opened up your eyes to see it, how we all, we all have an addiction, don't we? Mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. a people addiction. That's a codependent mm-hmm. experience. And I really relate with that. Um, I have started Joy Coaching America based in my similar experience, uh, just seeing the good and wanting to help and wanting to love and getting married and then getting annulled or divorced. And I've been through that ringer a few times myself. And from that was born Joy Coaching America with the desire to help heal hearts with the healing arts, music, Mm -hmm. massage, aromatherapy, and all of that. So, and I've watched a lot of people grow, but I really relate with what you're saying. And boy, there's so much more conversation we can have on that program (laughs) for those who've got that kind of an addiction because it is an addiction Mm -hmm. and we can be addicted to a substance or a person Mm -hmm. or a pattern. And so you took that that experience and worked it to do so much good? Well, I had to save myself first, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm still saving myself. Um, Like Anne said so articulately, we have to continue doing this work Mm -hmm. and doing the work is part of what keeps us healthy. Um, And so that's that's an ongoing journey. I believe that. Um, I found it very interesting because once I started working in the field of mental health, after doing, you know, my, a lot of my own work and, and getting into it in my master's degree and then, um, working with clients, I I don't feel like I fully, even at that point, understood my codependency until I started working with addiction. You know, I have a question. Do you think, okay, for those who have a tendency to say have an alcohol addiction, but they could also have 
a codependency addiction. <laughs> and so when they break up with that person that they think they're madly in love with, and then it spirals them right back into mm -hmm. the alcohol or the, the drug abuse. Uh, so they could have a multiple thing, like mm -hmm. an interconnected web going on there that every time they start to get sober, they're attractive, they're great, they're doing fine. And then they get involved in a, a new relationship that goes a little bit haywire and then back into the substance abuse. Definitely. We see that all the time. There are multiple ways of forming cross addictions and it is with more than just substances. People can do it behaviorally and they can do it with codependency and relationships. It's a big problem. It's one of the reasons why having a recovery program where you are addressing all of those factors is so important because if you're missing one out, then it can just lead people back to oh, relapse. That's right. And I can see why uh, they they suggest that while you're in recovery, you maybe don't get into a deep involved mm -hmm. relationship yeah. because that can knock you right back sure. into that comfort sure. zone. Sure, it can that be like another drug, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, what more would you like to share about your experience and how that turned you? Did you go get the master's degree? after you realized this or was yes, it as well it well it was all overlapping mm -hmm. <laughs> um yes i started uh the master's degree in rehabilitation counseling specifically because i wanted to become a part of helping other people the way that i was getting helped myself um where did you get your degree utah state university okay mm -hmm. yes um yeah they have actually a pretty good program for rehabilitation is that counseling. like a five-year thing uh, you can, it depends on how fast you're doing, okay. how fill it, how much you're filling up your semesters. <laughs> I bet that is a very fascinating degree. Yeah. Rehabilitative counseling. Yes. yes. And is that for those who are going through recovery programs, like what you're doing? It's for any, it's actually pretty all encompassing of any kind of disability treatment. So anybody who has mental health disabilities, physical disabilities, emotional disabilities, cognitive disabilities, um, ways in which that they can regain function functionality. Okay. So I bet it's been a perfect fit for you. I've enjoyed it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Perfect fit over at Corner Canyon Recovery. Can you give out that phone number and the website for Corner Canyon? Uh, the website is cornercanyonrecovery.com. Uh, okay. That's perfect. And, and you can go to that website and probably pick up the phone number and grab that phone number. I know if you're driving in your car right now, it's hard to take down a phone number. So go to cornercanyonrecovery.com and get that phone number. Call and ask for Sean Oldroyd. Ask for, uh, who could they ask for if they have questions about what you're talking about? I mean, I can see how beneficial this this work that you are doing would be for someone who is, who, who just has a love addiction, right? Yeah. You just want to love. You just want to give love. You just want to be loving. Mm -hmm. And, and then you find yourself in a conflagrated relationship that you didn't ever expect yourself to be in. Yeah. So our program is definitely not limited to people with substance addictions. That tends to be the majority of our clients, but we are a trauma focused program. And okay. so we treat addiction as a symptom of trauma and many other symptoms of trauma will find their way into our program. So Can anybody people come to you that just have a, a trauma, Absolutely. not just, but have yes. a trauma Absolutely. that maybe don't drink or whatever maladaptive behavior or symptom has, okay. has been born out of your trauma addiction being one possible we can help you with. That is wonderful. And I know that you have and are going to be discussing like the genetics and all of that mm -hmm. uh, for 
in our in our next segment. So you got your degree in your master's in rehabilitative counseling. Mm-hmm. And then have you how long have you worked with Corner Canyon? Uh, I started with them almost two and a half years ago, but I've only just become clinical director in the last few weeks. And as a clinical director there, what are your responsibilities and roles? Um, well, I have a caseload myself with the other fabulous therapists that we work with. Um, and in addition to that, I'm overseeing the clinical program, um, the kinds of therapeutic modalities that we employ to help our clients. So there are a multitude of modalities that we can use to address their addiction, their mental health symptoms, PTSD, um, their ability to begin reframing their thoughts and to begin reprocessing past trauma that's continuing to contribute to their behaviors and their addictions um, and any toxic patterns that get in their way. I think this is so important. And I recently have been reading about childhood PTSD. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've all thought that PTSD only happened to veterans, but you can get PTSD from being in abusive relationships Mm -hmm. and, and the trauma and then turning to the substance to kind of comfort and pad that experience. And so we're going to be back and we're going to be talking about some of the unique things that you do at Corner Canyon recovery that are kind of different than other places, Mm -hmm. maybe here in Utah. And, and that also, if you're listening, you can go to that website, you can get their phone number, or you've got the phone number right here and uh, call and get some information. If you have a family member who is suffering from trauma or, or alcohol addiction or any kind of addiction, please give them a call. The number is 877-717-6237. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to Joy Coaching America, raising the world's vibration to love, joy, and peace, one happy listener at a time. You are back with Joy Coaching America and Carolyn Grant as we interview the staff over at Corner Canyon Recovery, which provides nationwide uh, good tips for what you can do when you are facing addiction, facing trauma, and wanting to know how to recover from that, and also where you can take a loved one. And if you live outside of the state of Utah, you can still call Corner Canyon Recovery, and that phone number is 877-71-SOBER, and you can call Call them, ask for Sean Oldroyd, who is the admissions advisor, admissions director over there. But right now we are interviewing Sarah Sorensen, who's the clinical director over at Corner Canyon. And Sarah, you were just going to begin sharing with us some of those modalities that make Corner Canyon recovery top notch when you're looking for a place to go or a place to send a loved one. We want to hear all about those things that you offer. We know that there's so many, but if you could tell us as much as you can in the next few minutes, we'd love to hear from you. 
Thank you, Karen. Um, yeah, Corner Canyon, I feel like is quite unique. All of the therapeutic modalities that we use um, are research-based and are carefully chosen to address every one of a client's most important needs in those early stages of recovery and healing. Um, examples of things that we will lean on more heavily are things like EMDR therapy, which stands for Eye Motion Desensitization and Reprocessing. It's a trauma-based modality that's been around for quite a while. It's even being uh, recommended highly by the U.S. government for PTSD veterans. Um, we, of course, understand that PTSD isn't something that only veterans experience. Um, we see PTSD coming up more and more, um, actually, uh, to explain things that people may have previously thought were just simple episodes of depression, anxiety, personality disorders. A lot of times they can actually be more uh, successfully explained and treated as trauma disorders. And so it's one of the ways that we begin helping people is by helping them to make connections to past traumatic experiences that contribute to maladaptive beliefs about self and about the world and how that can often um, translate to behaviors that can be destructive and harmful. Um, mm -hmm. Other modalities that we use to help people do this, we have, um, we have therapists who specialize in cognitive behavioral therapy, which of course has been around for a very long time. We also have uh, DBT specialists um, and DBT stands for dialectical behavioral therapy. It's one of my very favorites because what I find is while people are working on their trauma, while they're trying to make those really important emotional connections between the way I see myself now and the choices I make and where I learned that originally, what the original wound is, mm -hmm. we find that sometimes that can actually make uh, them even more dysregulated for a while. Mm -hmm. There's a reason they've been numbing. There's a reason that that we have been distracting ourselves or suppressing something. And that's usually what comes up in this work. Mm -hmm. And if they were capable of looking at that without using before, right, we wouldn't be in this position. Mm -hmm. So what DBT does, it's a very valuable kind of scaffolding because it helps people build up skills of emotional regulation, of distress tolerance and interpersonal effectiveness, mainly are the three main tenets, um, and also mindfulness and awareness skills in addition to that. And what that does is gives people just this basic skill set to be able to handle distress, to realize I can feel something that's really, really hard to feel. It's shame or it's loneliness or it's guilt or it's embarrassment or it's uh, rejection or abandonment. I can feel it and I can still be standing and be okay. That's what DBT skills do for you. And so if you can't have that component with it, the trauma work is very difficult to do, especially when there's an addiction playing a part where you know there's a really quick way to numb that feeling. I, I bet that that is a huge aha moment when they start to see the original wound and how that, you know, even if they, start, they started, they had the original wound at age 12 or age five or whatever age it was, and then they start to look for something to numb that mm -hmm. pain because there's nobody safe to talk to or whatever the reason is. And wow, when you look at someone who's experiencing this, you can feel so much more compassion and empathy and kindness for them, realizing that this was the band-aid they chose to put on that original wound. Absolutely. And that that original wound then repeated itself because now a belief about oneself starts that I just handle it this way mm -hmm. or, and whatever that belief might be. You layer that original wound with scar tissue of beliefs that now when you're coming into your facility and mm -hmm. doing this work, it's like probing through scar tissue with an exacto knife and getting back down to 
under the layers of scarring, what was it that happened in the first place? Mm -hmm. What was the trauma that happened that initiated my need to go in search of a pacifier, a Band-Aid, something that ended up not working out? Absolutely. So I just appreciate so much the thought that has gone into all of these programs. So you do other yes, amazing things too. We do. But what I wanted to say, kind of just in response to what you just said, yes, everybody that's working in this field and particularly in this program is going to demonstrate what that compassion looks like to these people mm -hmm. who maybe haven't felt it everywhere else. Wow. But what I find is the most healing component is learning for is them learning to have compassion for themselves. A lot of times that's the that's the key to their healing. Sometimes I look at trauma as that self-reparenting that we need to employ. Oh, that and is so, true because the hardest person to forgive absolutely. is often ourselves. And we can yeah. be saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm mm -hmm. sorry, over and over and feeling the shame mm -hmm. and the blame and inflicting that on ourselves, which only makes recovery harder. Definitely, definitely. So anything that improves that level of self-compassion is really a key component. Perfect. Um, but yes, I would love to expound on, on other things that we do. Um, we are beginning to use more um, uh, protocols from cognitive processing therapy, which is another research-based, trauma-based therapy um, that works really well for people. That one, I find it works hand-in-hand -hand with EMDR because it helps really pull out those stuck points and those, hmm. those negative self-beliefs, and it helps you make connections in a really effective way, and EMDR is what will help you process them. Mm -hmm. So they all play a really important role. Um, we have a, a therapist that does equine therapy with our clients. We find anything that involves nature and animals, of That's course. Perfect. I mean, it's just, you know... It's a universal thing that we what have as do? human beings. I love right? that. And what do they do when they go to equine therapy? Uh, so she takes them out to a location where there, I, I don't even know how many there are. There are quite a few um, horses, donkeys, ponies that are there that have been mm. trained to work with people who have experienced emotional trauma, people who are in a peer wow. from addiction. So almost as if they were service animals, right? So they, they will be gentle. And um, the clients get an opportunity to choose which animal they want to work with that day. Mm -hmm. And then they are given tasks to complete with that animal. So what you're, what's actually happening is a connection, a relationship's being formed. With unconditional love, I Absolutely. might add. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's, the, that's the beautiful thing about connections with animals and with nature. They are uncomplicated. Most of our connections mm -hmm. with other human beings are quite complicated, right? They are often over interwoven with, with fear of rejection and shame and things that I've done in other relationships. But when you make a connection with an animal, they're not, you're not feeling quite as judged. <laughs> so true. I love that. Yeah. That is perfect. It's a very healing thing. I can imagine that would really be animals are so unconditionally loving. Mm -hmm. And so you do other therapies, you do sound therapy we do we have people coming in with different kinds of special specializations we have somebody who comes in who does sound sound what's called sound bowls it's mm -hmm. a meditative practice that helps people improve their mindfulness and it helps people gain a sense of calm and connection to self meditative which is really and, and yoga mm -hmm. we have yoga um, we have dietitians and nutrition specialists come in i love people. that you teach the residents is that what you call them? Residents? Clients, residents. Clients. Sure. You teach them how to cook. We do. We have I love a cooking that. class. It's called Cooking with Cade once a week. He's our chef. And this week they did variations of deviled eggs. 
That's awesome. Teaching them how to feed themselves nutritionally. That's right. It's quite an empowering thing, I think, for them to be able to treat their bodies with the respect that maybe they haven't been. I love that you also allow them to choose if they want to be vegan or vegetarian or focus on a different uh, nutritional style. Yeah, we want to support every aspect of a healing. I think that's great. Yeah. Okay, so... Does all this happen in a group or does some of this happen, these EMDR, are they doing this in a group setting or are they doing this in a personal? Uh, EMDR is mostly individual setting. We do have a protocol called group EMDR, which can be very healing. It's a different experience. When you're doing healing with it, with an individual therapist, you mm-hmm. usually go deeper and it's usually a more intense experience. Mm-hmm. So we have two individual sessions with for each client each week with their primary therapist and sometimes more as needed. Um, and often with, with multiple check-ins as well, mm-hmm. so they get a lot of contact. Um, but we have a lot of group uh, therapy that happens as well. We find that the kind of healing that you can achieve in a group is unique and important and necessary. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I'll hear clients come to me. Actually, somebody came to me just this morning and said, I really love process group because when a client, when a therapist is, is challenging another client about something and they're sharing how they feel about it, I really relate to it and I get something from mm-hmm. it that I wouldn't get if you know i were doing an individual session so seeing somebody else kind of battle through the kind of mind games that they might be experiencing um, and being challenged by another therapist can be really beneficial and sometimes when you hear it just a little bit removed you can do some introspection on Mm -hmm. yourself and go I do that. Mm-hmm. I do that. Yeah. Whereas if it was being hit at you point blank, you might go into a shield of denial yes, or something. Yes, your defenses go up and yeah. you're less likely to see clearly. True. Yeah, <laughs> I can see how group would be really good. I also love how it's a smorgasbord. Maybe that's not the word you would use, but you have so many types of things so that a person can come there mm-hmm. and see where they're drawn, what they like, the kinds of therapy that work for them. Absolutely. I love that. I feel like we are very good at individualizing the experience. So if we have a client with a particular need and we sense a, a, something that they can do really well, we'll do whatever we can to cater to that. I love that. I think a personalized program is so important. We are all so individual in our backgrounds, in in things that have happened to us in our childhoods, in our teen years, how important it is to, to be treated as an individual with love and respect, kindness and empathy, which I have really found in the staff at Corner Canyon Recovery. Today, we are talking with Corner Canyon Recovery with staff about the importance of addiction recovery and beautiful ways to do that. Please go to the website, www.cornercanyonrecovery. Thank you for joining us today in part two of Hope for America Through Addiction Crisis and Recovery.